0: Father, we love you. We're grateful for the Bible. Thank you that we have a copy of our own in our own language. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can understand these these truths that are spiritually discerned. Uh, I pray, oh God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding today, that you would illumine the Scriptures, that uh, we would be well-fed, that we would be encouraged, that we would receive the nourishment that we need as Christians to live the Christian life faithfully, that we would be encouraged to persevere, that we would understand uh, more clearly what it is to be a follower of Christ and how to walk in that calling. pray that we would be able to live in such a way that You are well pleased with our lives, with our hearts, with our intentions, with the thoughts of our minds, our speech, Father, that every part of us, God, would be to the glory of Your name. And so, Holy Spirit, would You be our teacher today? Would You help us in our understanding and the application of these truths? Father, You know each and every one of us. You know where we are at in the Christian life, you know what's going on in our lives, you know just what we need, and you're able to meet those needs through your sufficient word, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right. Well, today we conclude chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Now, up to this point, Paul has been encouraging Timothy unto boldness, boldness in the work. As you will recall, we've already discussed the fact that Timothy seems to have been a a timid man, a timid, fairly young man, and he had a very difficult task set before him. He was ministering in some pretty difficult situations, and so Paul is encouraging Timothy to stay the course, to press in, to go the distance, to not pull back but to serve the Lord boldly. And so last week, we looked at the fact that Paul reminded Timothy of his own sincere faith. Timothy, you are a man of God. You have a sincere faith that dwells in you, and that informs, should inform the way that you live, the way that you serve. Paul reminded Timothy that he needed to stir up the gift that God had given to him. For Timothy to not let his giftings grow cold, To not sideline himself, but to get in the game and to go more deep into the game and to serve with a greater ferocity and to fine-tune and sharpen his gifts. Paul reminded Timothy that he had not been given a spirit of fear. God didn't do that. That's not from God. If there's any cowardice or timidity or fear in him, that is not from God. And he needed to know that. That in fact, Paul reminds Timothy... He had been given a spirit of love and power and a sound mind. So, the Apostle Paul says, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians, it could be 1 Corinthians, I think it's 2nd, that we're compelled by the love of Christ. The love that we have in Christ Jesus, the love that Christ has given us for himself and for others, that compels us. So, Paul reminds Timothy that he has this love in him that has been given to him by God that he's experienced in Christ. He has the power that he needs through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he has a sound mind. He doesn't have to be crippled or paralyzed by fear. He has the ability to think and to respond rationally with power and love. Then Paul reminded Timothy that God has an eternal plan here. God is working together an eternal plan that he has been working towards from eternity past, and he will bring into completion an in eternity future, and that Timothy has been called into this plan. So he need not back off or be discouraged. This was God's doing. God was in control of it. He always has been, always will be. Timothy just needs to continue on. And then lastly, Timothy was reminded by Paul of God's faithfulness. Timothy, God is faithful. Paul says, I know in whom I've believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to him until that day. And so there's no question here. God's faithful, God is able. The question is, Timothy, will you be faithful? Will you be faithful? And that is kind of where it turns and these last few verses in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy deal with faithfulness. So up to this point, Paul has called Timothy unto boldness. Now, Paul is going to encourage Timothy unto faithfulness. So it was boldness in the work. Today, we're going to look at faithfulness to the truth. Faithfulness to the truth. Now, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 4. It's probably one of my favorite verses. I quote it often, and really I feel like it's a summary of what we're going to look at today. Paul speaking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful Amen? Found faithful. So Paul says, look, we are servants. Nothing more, nothing less. In fact, this word for servant here, it's the only time it's used here in the New Testament, and it's the word uh, under rower. Um, And so I think huperetes, I think is the word. And it's the people that are at the bottom of a ship that are rowing. You may know the movie Ben Hur, maybe you've seen that scene. That's an under rower. And that's what Paul says, we're servants, we're just just trying to move the ship ahead. You know, we're we're just rowing with all of our might. And he says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God, that they have been entrusted with something very special. They've been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they've been entrusted with sound doctrine. And he said it is absolutely required that a steward be found faithful. We have to be faithful with what has been entrusted into our care. And that is what Paul is ultimately encouraging Timothy to today. And so it's a faithfulness to the truth. And I would say what we have before us is three directives for faithful ministry. We're going to look at three points, three directives for faithful ministry. So if you would, look with me at verse 13. First point, follow the pattern of sound words. Verse 13, it says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's time is short. Paul would soon be going home to be with the Lord very soon, in fact. We believe that Paul is going to be beheaded. We believe that he was beheaded. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but we believe historically, traditionally, uh, it's been handed down that he was arrested under Caesar Nero, under the persecution that was coming against the church in Rome, and that he was going to be beheaded for his faith. And before Paul goes, he's reminding Timothy of several things. And here... He is reminding Timothy that he has been given a pattern to follow. He has given Timothy a pattern to follow. This word pattern here, it means outline, a sketch, or a blueprint. Timothy has not been left without a blueprint for ministry. Paul, uh, Timothy has received an outline, a sketch, a pattern that he was called by Paul to remember and to follow. Paul calls it a pattern of sound words. Now, you hear that phrase a lot. You hear it from me. It's repeated throughout the Scriptures. Sound words, sound doctrine. Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word as we have been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Titus 2:1 says, "But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine." So what are sound words? What is sound doctrine? Well, it's healthy, <clears throat> wholesome truth. We know what it is when we say we're of in sound mind. You ever heard that phrase? I'm speaking in sound mind. That means that you are coherent, you're clear, you're with it, you're thinking correctly. You're thinking clearly. Therefore, you're speaking clearly and correctly. And that's the idea here. We have been given sound, healthy, wholesome, coherent, clear truth. The very truth of God. The very words of God. That had been delivered from Paul to Timothy. Sound words. Sound truth. What we might call the Apostles' Doctrine. Paul had given these things to Timothy, the teachings of the apostles, the teachings that the apostles received from Jesus Christ over those three years, and they also received by divine revelation, and they handed these things down, they wrote these things down, and they encouraged the church with these things. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, and the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So these are the words handed down from the apostles to the church, to the believers, the apostles doctrine. And as we see here in Acts chapter 2, that these sound words lead to sound living, if rightly applied, as seen right here in this passage. The apostles were teaching the people, teaching them well, and they were living these things out. And they were meeting together in homes. They were meeting at the temple. They were praying. They were eating together. They were taking the Lord's supper together. They were living sacrificially. They were selling their own possessions and goods to care for the needs of others. They were marked as people who had glad and generous hearts, people who praised God. This was a healthy church because they had been nourished on the healthy words of sound doctrine given to them by the apostles. And so, I want to emphasize here that Timothy had been given a pattern of sound words. He had received instruction from the apostle Paul, <clears throat> and I want you to understand that it is not just a bunch of random, disjointed, nonsensical gooblygop. Okay? That's a, that last word is very theological, gooblygop. I, I emphasize this point because we live in a day and age where we play, off, so often people play loose and fast with the Word of God. They just do. They twist it, they distort it, they disregard it, they give little care or concern for it, they water it down, they add to it. You've got churches that, are basing their sermons on Barbie, the movie, Uh, and I'm not even kidding, you know, I I saw that a few weeks ago, you know, next week we're going to have a sermon based on the movie Barbie, and the lessons that can be taken away, that's actually a very common thing right now, churches have been doing this, I guess for months now, I mean, probably longer than that, but I guess over the summer I had heard that was a big thing that a lot of churches are doing, they're exegeting movies. It's just insane. And Paul's like, Timothy, you've been given something special. You've been given something that is like treasure. You have been given a pattern of healthy, wholesome, sound truth. Not least of which he had been given the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That cannot be perverted. That cannot be twisted or distorted. Paul said if anybody comes to you, he said, if I come to you with a different gospel than what you've already received, you know what? Let me be accursed. Let the person who comes to you be accursed if they come to you with another gospel. And so Timothy has been given something very special. He has been given a pattern. And I want to emphasize this pattern. It is a system. It is a system of beliefs. Now, if I've lost you already, let's reel it in because this is important. We are to love God with our minds, amen? As we love God with our minds, that should absolutely inform our hearts. It starts here. We learn these things, we understand these things, uh, it makes it to our hearts. And that ultimately informs our hands and our feet, our mouths, our speech, everything, okay? We worship and love God with all of our being. That's what it is to love God with your, all your soul and heart and strength and your mind, to love God with everything that you have. And I want to tell you something. Every one of us in here has a system of belief. We all have a system. You may not recognize it, you may not realize it, but you do we all have a system of beliefs. We all in here have a bibliology. That is, what we believe about the Bible. We all in here have certain ideas about what we think the Bible is or isn't. We all have an anthropology. That is to say, what we believe about human nature, what we think about mankind and his condition before God. We all have a homardiology. That's the doctrine of sin. What we believe about sin and how it has affected mankind and our ability to relate to God. We all have a soteriology. That is dealing with the doctrines of salvation. We all have views on the salvation of God, how it came to us, how we receive it, what it took to make that possible. We all have a theology proper, that is, the doctrines of God, His nature, His attributes, His character, the Trinity. We all have a Christology, what we believe about Jesus Christ, the person and the works, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. We all have a pneumatology, that is, the doctrines of the Holy Spirit, We all have a belief about the Holy Spirit, the nature of the Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We all have an angelology, what we believe about demons and angels and spiritual warfare. We all have an ecclesiology. That's what we believe about the church, the doctrines regarding the church. We all have an eschatology. That is what we believe about end times, how this whole thing is going to wrap up. And there's a lot of different views and, uh, you know, that can be a complex debate for sure. But I just want you to understand, you probably wouldn't have said it like I just said it, you know, as, as we think about these things. All of these words I just busted out, you might hear those words and think, I have no clue what any of that is. I don't know what ecclesiology and homardiology and soteriology, but you do. You do because those are just fancy words to describe what you believe about Jesus and God, the Father and the Bible and the Holy Spirit and salvation and sin. But what I want you to know is, is that these are not just a bunch of random, disjointed you know, facts. I mean, it's all very connected together. It is a pattern. It is a system of truth that has been handed down from us. It's from the Word of God It is handed down to us from God ultimately, and we need to know what we believe about these things. And we can, we must, we have to. The question is are we biblically informed on these things? That is why we do what we do. That's why we teach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, because we want to understand God's truth in its context systematically. We want to pull from the text what it's actually saying and from that we want to derive our theology, our systematic theology, our doctrine. We want it to be as right, accurate, spot on as it can be. Not just what does this mean to me and what does this mean to you as though it can mean a thousand different things. No. What did it mean to the original recipients? What was the author as being moved by the Holy Spirit, what was it that he was trying to communicate? That's called authorial intent. We want to get to the bottom of what the Word of God is actually saying so that we can be precise and accurate with our understanding and our handling of the pattern of sound words that have been delivered to us. Amen? So that's the goal. That's the goal. And let me just say this. You can go as deep as you want to with these things. You can know as much about these things as you want to. If you know nothing, that's on you. It's not because you don't have the resources. Because we live in a time and a place where resources are aplenty. First off, we live in a time and place in human history where we're literate. We're literate. Praise God for that. And we have Bibles and books galore. We've got teachers and preachers galore. That can be a dangerous thing. You go on YouTube, there is no shortage of garbage and googly-gop out there that people are absolutely swept away by, unfortunately. And so it's a blessing, but it's also a, a curse. It's a dangerous thing. But if you, if you you know find the right resources, and that's not hard to do, there are plenty of very well-trusted uh, folks out there that we learn from and can learn from men that I look to for sure in my understanding of things, that we can grow in these things. And I want you to understand these things and form one another. It's not like a foundation. So you say you got the Bible, and then you've got the next foundation, Jesus. And the next. and It's not like that. It's like a spider web, if you will. All of these things are so interconnected that if you, if you pluck one string, the whole web is going to you know, shake whatever, you get what I'm saying. And so these things are so important. They are so critical for us to understand. And so I encourage us, recognize that we've been given something very special. We have been given something wonderful. We have been given a pattern of sound, healthy, wholesome words. We need to recognize that and we need to treat it like we believe that and give ourselves to the systematic study of it. Listening to sermons, listening to lectures, reading the Bible. There's a lot of good books, but you know what? This is the book. This is the book. And so I'm all for reading books and, and other supplementary works, but this, you just need to put your face right here more than anything and let God do business with you through His Word. And so Paul gives Timothy this reminder I I gave you this, Timothy. I gave you this. The question is, do we understand these things? Do we apply these things? I want you also to notice that he says that he had given them these things in the faith and love that is in Jesus Christ. A pattern of sound words of faith and love in Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 13? That's a significant little phrase, and I want you to understand why. These are more than just intellectual points for arguing. You're not learning systematic theology so you can be smarter than anyone else, so that you can win more debates than anybody else. You understand? It's not that at all. It's not just for an accumulation of knowledge so that no matter what happens, if you ever get caught in a situation where someone asks you a question, you're not going to feel stupid. You're going to have all the answers. That's not what this is. These are words that are to be received and believed by faith. By faith. They are to strengthen your faith and the faith of others around you as God uses you to dispense and minister His Word to other people because that's the other thing. Timothy had been given these sound words but not just for Timothy. It was for all the people that God would use Timothy to impact. And then all the people God would use those people to impact. And that is why it's so important that we keep this system, this pattern of sound words intact as we pass them on to the next generation and the next generation. These words are to be handled and ministered with love. It's not a club. There are people that learn the Bible so that they can just pepper, buckshot somebody with Bible verses. You know, someone comes to you and they're having problems and you just start hitting them with a thousand Bible verses or someone, you, you know, some people can take, this is a sword, it is a sword. The Bible describes it that way. It is, an, it is a weapon that we use for offense and spiritual warfare, right? But that doesn't mean that we're to take it and to just amputate our brothers and sisters' limbs from their bodies. You know, like we are we are to minister God's word and love. And so Paul says, You've been given a pattern of sound words that are of faith and love in Jesus Christ. They are for the building up of the body of Christ. They are, because of your love for Jesus and your love for Jesus' people, you are to take this pattern of sound words and minister them accordingly. Amen? We minister the Word of God. We serve people with the Word of God. We love and encourage and even rebuke people with the Word of God, but it's all in love. Amen? And so, Paul reminds Timothy, you've been given this treasure, you've been given these pattern of sound words, minister them in faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Well, the next thing Paul encourages Timothy to do is to guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to him. Look at verse 14. It says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So, having received the pattern of sound words, Paul commands Timothy to guard them. Guard them. Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit. Now, what is that exactly? What is a good deposit? This is language we might not typically use. And so, what's going on here? Well, I think there's ways in which we can understand this in a modern context, and there are certainly ways you would understand it in the ancient context, and they're quite similar. But in this day and age, think about it, uh, people's homes, people's houses, they didn't have the kind of security that we have. They didn't necessarily have the kinds of banking systems that we have with uh, the insurance that banks offer to us when we leave our possessions with them. And so people's houses oftentimes maybe didn't have windows so you're not going to take something that's of value and have it like right by a window that's wide open in a place in this day and age. That would be foolish. You're just asking for your stuff to get stolen. So typically, they would try to move things to the innermost area of the house, to the place that is furthest away from that perimeter of the house, a place of safety, because it's something that's special. It's something that is of value. So there are proper procedures and methods that are taken there to try to keep things from being so easily stolen. Now, if you were going to travel, then really you're in big trouble because, again, it doesn't matter where you put it in the house. It's not hard to get into someone's house, especially in that day and age. So, then you would leave it with someone else that you love and trust. So, knowing that they would take very seriously protecting that which is important to you. They have been given a good deposit. You have deposited something that is important to you into the care and protection of somebody else. Does that make sense? Yes? Some of you are following me. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and so that's what it is to guard the good deposit. I remember the first time I went on a missions trip um, with Pastor Bill Walden, we went to, to Mexico, and I was still living in Tennessee at the time. And we came here, and as we right before we crossed over the border the border, I think it was in Calexico, uh, we we had to. Ch- exchange all of our money into pesos. And so we were going on a pretty long trip, and we were going to be traveling uh, for a couple weeks. And so we had quite a bit of money that was for the whole group that was going to be taking care of all the expenses and different things. And so by the time we exchanged it into pesos, that was a lot of money. I mean, and it looked like a lot of money. And we get to our where we're staying in Mexico, and then Pastor Bill got like super sick. And we were going somewhere that night, and I was asking him a question. He I can't make any decisions. And he was like, and here's the money. And I'm like, well, what do I do with it? He's like, I can't make any decisions. He was just like so messed up. He was like, you just got to take it and go. And I'm like, I'm in Mexico. I got all this money. All of a sudden, like I'm the one that's supposed to be in charge here. And I'm like, what do I do? Oh man, I was like nervous and so that's, that's what it's like. All of a sudden, you something has been placed into your possession, and it is very valuable. It's very important, and it is up to you to guard it and protect it and make sure nothing happens to it. And that's essentially what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Guard the good deposit. Something extremely valuable and precious has been delivered to you, and now it's your responsibility, Timothy, to guard it. You are being, you are stewarding something that's of inestimable value and worth, incalculable. Is that, is that right? Incalculable value. And so, steward it well, guard it, protect it. That is what Timothy is being told to do, and that's what we're being told to do. The reason that today we have this body of sound doctrine, healthy, wholesome, truth this pattern is because it's been preserved because faithful brothers and sisters through the generations have taken this charge seriously and here we have it today for ourselves and now it's our responsibility to preserve it to protect it to guard it to steward it well Now, we're told to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. That's what Paul told Timothy. By the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, guard the good deposit. Even this is an example of the necessity of a sound pattern regarding the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, guard it by the Holy Spirit? If we don't have some understanding of the Holy Spirit biblically, how are we going to even know what that means? Well, we understand that The indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens when we're born again, when we believe in Jesus Christ by faith. It's the new birth, the rebirth. We're given a new heart. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have the capacity to understand truth. That's illumination. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we have what it takes to even understand the sound and healthy pattern of truth. We have been given that by the Holy Spirit. Because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the capacity to detect that which is contrary to the truth. When you hear something that does not accord with sound doctrine and you know in your heart you've got that check, this is not right. This does not line up with the Word of God. That is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, giving you the discernment to know this does not accord with sound doctrine. Something is off here. It is by the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we have the capacity to stand firm for the truth. That's called conviction. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives us that. We're willing to pay a price for believing and standing on the truth. We take very seriously the pure truth of the Word of God and we're not trying to water it down and we're not trying to apologize for it and we're not trying to twist it and turn it into something that it is not. We're not going to kowtow to the culture around us, we're not going to bend, we're not going to waver, we're going to stand on sound doctrine, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do that, to give us the boldness to do that, to give us the conviction and the courage that it takes to do that. We have a responsibility to know, to obey, to preserve, and to pass on the good deposit. Amen? Amen. We have a God-given responsibility to do that. Brothers and sisters, that's all of us in here. If you have named the name of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you are responsible to know God's Word, obey God's Word, to preserve and protect, to guard God's Word, and to pass it on. To pass it on to the next generation. We are all called to do this. That's what it is for disciples to make disciples. Amen? We're living in an age of mass defection from sound words. People are drawn to superficial, shallow, self-centered teaching. It's just the way it is. Look around in the world in which we live and you will see that. People don't want just God's Word. They want so many other things. Maybe they want some of God's Word sprinkled into it, but nobody just wants, I shouldn't say nobody, many people out there, unfortunately, in the church that we see want something else. May that never be of us. May it never be. Last point. Number three, choose carefully the example you desire to follow. Choose carefully your example. Now this isn't stated explicitly in the text, uh, but I think that we can certainly deduce that. That's where Paul is going here. And Paul's going to give two examples, essentially. He's going to give negative examples and positive examples. People you don't want to be like, people you do want to be like. And this is in the context of faithfulness. The context of faithfulness. So look at verse 15. It says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Well, we know nothing about Phygelus and Hermogenes except what is mentioned here. Imagine if your name was in the Bible only to show you as a defector. That would be pretty horrible. Now, as I said already, it may seem difficult to understand how this fits in or where Paul is even going here because he just seamlessly goes from you've been given a pattern of sound words, guard them by the Holy Spirit, and then he goes right into these people who have turned away. But it appears, as I've already stated, that Paul is giving a real-life example of faithfulness versus the unfaithful. Now, remember, Timothy is currently in Asia. He's in Asia Minor, Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And Paul says, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, this is kind of interesting And uh, this could be a little bit of a stretch, but I think it might give us a little bit of insight. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus, and we know that Paul spent more time in Ephesus than in any other city when it came to ministering to the church. Three years he was there. And we're told that there was this, this place there in Ephesus called the Hall of Tyrannus, And this was a place where Paul would go and meet with the disciples, and he would teach them. And we believe that this went on uh, for a good part of the the middle of the day for two to three years. Some people have called this the first seminary, if you will. And for three years, Paul was teaching the disciples day in, day out for a better part of the, the middle of the day teaching them sound doctrine, wholesome, healthy words, giving them this pattern. And in Acts chapter 20, after Paul left and he's coming back by Ephesus, but he doesn't go through Ephesus, he stops in Miletus and he meets with the Ephesian elders. You should probably know that chapter pretty well. And he he warns them. He says, look, when I was with you, he says, I did not shun to declare to you the entire counsel of God. So Paul went there with them. He taught them He warned them, and then he says, even from among you, however, some are going to rise up. There are going to be wolves that are going to rise up against the truth, even from among yourselves. Well, fast forward, it's possible that this Phygelus and Hermogenes were from that group. Uh, This was in Asia. Uh, where Timothy is currently pastoring in Ephesus that Paul is writing to. And he says, all of those who, in, who were in Asia have turned for me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And there are other names that are mentioned in this book. And it could be that Paul is saying, look, Timothy, we were together. We had this group of, of men that were on fire they were with us, they aspired to serve God faithfully, fervently, and they defected. They defected. They're gone now. So what are you going to do, Timothy? Are you going to be like those who have turned aside, who are there now amongst you in Ephesus, or are you going to stay the course? Are you going to be like, and now he gives us a positive example, verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So now we have this guy, Onesiphorus. He also was in Ephesus. He very likely could have been same, part of that same group. And he said, you got Phygelus and Hermogenes from Asia. They've defected. They're gone. But then you've got Onesiphorus. Remember him, Timothy? That's a faithful brother right there. That is a faithful brother. He puts forward this faithful example for Timothy to consider. Onesiphorus did not turn away. He pressed in. Onesiphorus was a man who often refreshed Paul. Paul says, I love that. Paul said, he was not ashamed of my chains, but he sought me diligently, earnestly. He found me and he refreshed me. He refreshed me often. Now, Paul uses that language in other places. He uses it in Philemon. There's only one chapter, but in verse 7 and 20, he says, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 20, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. I would say that Paul's speaking here of mercy ministry being someone who refreshes other people, someone who is faithfully serving, loving, caring for, blessing other people. And he said, that's, Ones- that's Onesiphorus. He's a merciful man, he's had mercy on me. He's refreshed my heart in the Lord. He has spoken words of comfort to me. He sought me out. He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't afraid for his own life. He put his life on the line. He sought for me. He found me in Rome, and he has cared for me. He has refreshed me. He has shown me great mercy. And he says, may the Lord show him mercy. May the Lord, and I don't think this is like mercy in the sense of hopefully because he has done these things, now he won't Face judgment on judgment day. No, I think what he's saying is the same thing that Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. If you are a dispenser of comfort, if you are a faithful saint who seeks to refresh and encourage and bless others faithfully, you will be refreshed and encouraged and blessed in the Lord. He said that's the kind of guy Onesiphorus was. Timothy, that's the kind of guy I want you to be. And you have an option here. You have two examples. He says, I have given you a pattern. I am calling you by the Holy Spirit to guard what has been entrusted to you. And I set before you two examples that you have to follow. Choose faithfulness. Choose faithfulness, Timothy. And we know and believe that Timothy did just that. Timothy was a faithful brother, he was faithful not a man without challenges, not a man without struggles, but he was a man who was faithful to the end. He took the charge seriously, and he served the Lord with boldness, faithfully to the end. And so that that same charge is left to us. We have no excuse. We have been given the truth. We know the gospel. We've been given the gospel. Amen? Amen. That God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That is the most important news. That is the best news. That is the news that we must preserve at all costs and pass on to the next generation. We've been given sound doctrine. We've been given all of these truths regarding the character and the nature of God and who He is and what He has done on down through Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the church, on so on and so forth. We need to understand these things, give ourselves to the disciplines of growing in the knowledge of these things, allowing these things to affect the way that we live, and we stand responsible to share these things with others. Amen? We've got to be faithful. And do we not have real-life examples around us right now of people that we know who have defected, they have turned away? But we have examples of people who have finished well, we have examples of people around us who are persevering through the most difficult trials, and yet they continue on faithfully serving at a cost. We have these examples. And that's really what the writer of Hebrews is doing. In Hebrews chapter 11, the, what we call the hall of faith, chapter 12 opens up, "...since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses." since we are surrounded. What is he saying? Because we have all of these examples of faithful men and women who have gone before us, stayed the course, and suffered well. Let us press on. Amen? Let us press on. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He suffered. He despised the cross, enduring the shame for the joy that was set before him. Amen? And so, we've been called to do the same. So, pick your examples well. May Christ be our ultimate example, and may we be faithful in all of our doing. Let's pray. Father, we love You. Thank You for this. Thank You for this book. Thank You for these verses. Help us, Lord, to be those who are found faithful in Your sight. Help us be those who take seriously sound doctrine, knowing the truth, obeying and living for the truth, sharing the truth. Thank you for what has been entrusted to our care. We're not worthy of it, Lord. But such is your love, such as your mercy. You've given us all that we need. You've given us the ability to do the things that you called us to do. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.